yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still here after all these years, after all these tears I shed. Welcome back to I'm Still Here. I'm Larry. And I'm Heather. In 1998, at the age of 26, I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. It changed everything for us, but I'm still here. And you guys are still here for part two of Dr. Mariver. So, hope uh, you enjoyed the first part. Yeah, if absolutely. you did, the second part is just as good or yeah, better. Yeah. So, we're excited to bring this to you. And um, there's always things that we can take away from her perspective. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was so great to sit down with Please her. let us know after this. Please let us know what you think or if you have any more questions for her. Because I bet she would do a part three. She's yeah, that kind of person. She is. Awesome. All right. Enjoy. So, can we switch gears a little bit and talk about the future of cancer and what you're excited about or what you're yeah yeah. i'm excited about a lot of things uh well the one thing that i'm uh, one thing i'm extremely excited about is that thanks to all that we have done in breast cancer it's spilling over now into all cancers Mm -hmm. breast always was the pioneering I, i guess first was leukemia leukemia and lymphoma taught breast what to do and then with breast but you know the solid tumors we call the liquid tumors and the solid tumors the liquid is is leukemia it's kind of a funny way to separate them but it it makes sense because leukemia is in the blood blood is like a liquid so anyway so solid tumors breast has always taken the vanguard the, the, the you know it's been at the forefront and i see now how other cancers and especially lung you know is catching on and it gives me great satisfaction to see a lot of the advances spill over but in breast cancer in particular i think you know we still lose uh 46,000 women um and a few hundred men every year mm-hmm. and it's unacceptable we still have 46,000 deaths you know and and there is a lot of breast cancer the the incidence is you know maybe plateauing or it's slightly increasing so i want more prevention i want personalized prevention all the things that that you have been doing taking care of yourself i want women to be doing their whole lives you -hmm. know there is less cancer to be had in society as a whole if people would just only listen and take it seriously. There is no pill to really prevent cancer. There may be vaccines. A friend of mine and uh, may may have hit on a vaccine uh, for people who have ductal carcinoma in situ, DCIS, and then she may have hit on a vaccine uh, to keep it from becoming invasive. I'm very excited about discoveries that we have made and others have made to prevent metastasis Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have helped you because you walk through the door with metastasis but a lot of people don't and they get metastasis later on uh, three years five years especially things like triple negative and so on tend to as you know metastasize Mm -hmm. earlier or inflammatory breast cancer Mm -hmm. i was just at the conference in inflammatory breast cancer uh, talking about recent discoveries we have made about metabolism, about how the metabolism of cancer cells is a little different 
or quite a bit different in some cases from the metabolism of normal cells. And that difference is a source of vulnerability for the cancer. Sure. So we discovered a particular enzyme, metabolic enzyme, that we, of course, had to memorize in medical school, but nobody quite knew why we we're studying all that. Sure. But now we know. And okay. so, you know, it's just very exciting. We have new ways, new vulnerabilities, and there are drugs available for these uh, new discoveries. So we are very excited about that. I'm very excited about the treatments for metastasis. I think patients with metastasis should be very hopeful. Do not think of metastasis as incurable anymore. All you have oh. to do is hear Heather's story, <laughs> and and you know that there is hope. And mm -hmm. there is hope for there are hundreds and there are thousands of women living with metastasis, good lives. Mm -hmm. Sure, it'll be better to not have it, but but given that they do have it, uh, the there are lots of treatments on the shelf, lots of treatments coming up. I'm incredibly hopeful. Mm -hmm. And we are saving more and more lives, but there is a big burden of cancer. And part of the big burden is because of how we live. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say mm -hmm. we can't just weigh anything we want to weigh. We right. can't just eat anything that, you know, you know, we find all the stuff that we know is junk. Yeah. Well, if we have it all the time, it takes a toll on our body. Mm -hmm. And cancer lurks around the corner of vulnerable bodies. Well, again, so when you're talking about a vulnerable body, that says to me an immune system that isn't exactly. in top shape, right? So we right. were, I mean, the goal then is to feed that immune system, to give it the body, you know, the ability to do its job, to find those things. We depend on it. And in yeah. the problem when we are chronically overweight, and I mean significantly overweight, right? Mm -hmm. um, the body experiences a state of inflammation. Yeah. So it's like having uh, kind of like a little pocket of pus in the lung or in the liver, like an abscess or something. There is something, but instead it comes from the fat cells in the body that are all over the body. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't just that, okay, well, it doesn't matter. It's just two gene sizes. Well, 30, 40 pounds are 30, 40 extra pounds that are causing all that inflammation. It's not nothing. Mm -hmm. and 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 so we would have a lot fewer cases in fact some epidemiologists that i trust very much think that we would have 75,000 fewer cases a year if people shaped up mm -hmm. and i'm not talking from childhood if the current people who yeah. are not in shape would shape up and yeah. by shape up i mean just get close to that BMI of 30 to 35, you know, yeah. just get close to that. Yeah. You know, we are not trying to be size zero. We are not talking right. any of that. We are talking movement and being close to it. And of course, drinking extreme moderation, alcohol is a carcinogen, including a carcinogen for breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So no more than three drinks a week. And uh, if you go to zero, you make me happy, but you don't have to. <laughs> You're not obliged. 
And, uh, you know, I just hate carcinogens, right? I just right. hate them, you right. know? I just have to talk about them because yeah. I hate them. Yeah. And there is nothing I, I can do if people drink. I didn't drink. know that alcohol was a carcinogen. I teach alcohol health. is a carcinogen for the mouth, for the, for the larynx, for the pharynx, for the esophagus, for the pancreas. Not, not your most friendly kind of cancers mm -hmm. and alcohol goes in the bloodstream and the bloodstream bathes all the tissues so guess what it's implicated in breast cancer yeah. more than three drinks a week doubles the chance of breast cancer so for patients who have had breast cancer already i say hey why why expose yourself but if you are going to expose yourself fine but three drinks a week is what the data seems to indicate. But do I know for sure it's safe? No, I don't. That's yeah. the data. Epidemiological data are difficult to obtain. Yeah. You know, people don't always tell exactly how much they need. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> we all exaggerate a little bit how much we really went for a run. How long did we really stay? It's always a little I've heard long. the doctors uh, automatically <laughs> double what you write down at least. No. <laughs> No, we don't, but we, no, but, you know, but I have plenty of patients, you know, that tell me, well, either I never eat anything, you know, and they need to lose a hundred pounds. So, right. so, so it's a miracle. Yeah. It's just a miracle of the stars that they find themselves in this situation. So that's fine. That to me, as a doctor tells me that they are, they are not in a state of reality that they need to get there. I need to help them if I can. I need to suggest tools mm -hmm. to help them because I know for sure it's physically impossible, right? Certain right. things are impossible. And if you're not eating anything, you are not going to be 100 pounds overweight. You shouldn't be ever not eating anything, right? right? But what I'm saying is they say things that, and, and, and I know why, I understand all of that, but my job is still to help them. Yeah. Because it helps people to, as you pointed out, to engage the immune system. Yeah. You know, immune system is your friend. Yeah. That's why we get vaccines. Yeah. Because then we talk to the immune system. We say, hey, <laughs> there is this thing out there that can kill me. Would you please train yourself to kill that Look thing that. instead of me? Yeah. <laughs> so, Did you yeah. have a question? No. No, I'm fine. Okay. So treatment wise, uh, you know, I feel like I'm out of the loop in terms of treatments. I don't know. I've been on the same thing since 2004. Um, yeah. Has it changed a lot? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the treatment, if you came through the door the way you did in those days, mm -hmm would be you wouldn't recognize it to, mm -hmm. to to a large extent you would still get the hormonal therapies of course because they are at the forefront of saving the most millions of lives of right. anything uh hands down uh yeah. the winners um there would be no more transplant for sure you know, and so you would get antibodies you get pertuzumab and trastuzumab which you you have gotten already and uh, but you didn't get it initially because they didn't exist in those days. Mm -hmm. So um, you know there would be those kinds of things. Uh, so the treatment would have changed. You wouldn't yeah. recognize it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could tell you that I am positive 
that the treatments today are superior to what you got. Okay. I am personally not for you in particular. Mm-hmm. With everything I know about your disease and what you did and how you took care of yourself and your your emotional and everything support that you've had for you as a person, I don't know if you would do better today. I think you, with luck, you would do as well as you did, but I'm not convinced of that because mm-hmm. I think the double transplant made a big difference in your, I, I do believe that. That was not an accident yeah. uh, that I started thinking about you're getting transplanted when I was, when I was talking to your brother. Yeah. <laughs> it had I can tell me. that you had a pat. You, we were. Yeah. I started thinking of the extreme. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave nothing right. untouched. That right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we are going to, as I said at the beginning, leave everything on the floor because I needed to, I needed to think of 60 years. Mm-hmm. I needed to think of giving this person 60 years of good life. Mm-hmm. And that was a tall order. And so I wasn't, nowadays you wouldn't get that. Mm-hmm. No matter where you live but in the world. The, the hope or the goal would be that you would be working with an oncologist who was looking at what is the path yes, to get exactly. you the best quality of life for as long as possible yeah the best quality of life for as long as possible taking into consideration that in the short term as you put up with enormous amounts of inconvenience and side effects and the whole the whole shebang yeah right if anybody had the whole shebang it was you and but you were willing and you were part of the team if you hadn't wanted it you wouldn't have gotten it you know it wasn't up to me but uh but given that you were willing so the short term quality of life is long term long term right right we we had this conversation you stand on your head now but then you know you get to high school graduation i remember having that conversation with you yeah yeah, no, it was, it was, I was willing to do what anything that I could for a long-term aspect, right? To, mm-hmm. I mean, first it was just kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> and right. yeah, but we soon started talking about bigger things. Absolutely, bigger things. And yeah, I need people to be thinking high school, college, wedding. I, yeah. I need them to imagine themselves alive yeah that's part of the visualization part of engaging the brain the immune system i want them to imagine i want them to imagine themselves alive well i will say i think because our conversation happened so early i don't know if i truly got to this means i'm gonna die i remember all of the initial those first couple weeks of feeling like any conversation, I would be like, am I going to be here for that? And then learning to then train myself to say, I'm going to be there for that, you know, or I can have this conversation. So I did have to like, think about it. And even, even if you didn't hundred percent believe it, even if I didn't hundred yeah. percent, and then it, it became, well, I guess I should believe it because yeah. I'm still here. I also remember actually in the hospital when I had pneumonia with my transplant <laughs> being so like, angry thinking this is not what's gonna get me (laughs) like (laughs) i am not gonna which i now know like whatever pneumonia ultimately kind of 
it takes a lot of people but I was like uh-uh nope I am not you know yeah I'm not, not a lot of 27 me. year olds but you know it's the side effects were terrible and uh, you know, I know that's what I'm saying. It's a very, it's a very hard specialty. We give very toxic things to people, but we give them with a heart. We give them for a reason. Yeah. And they, they are, they're really good drugs. Yeah. They cure people over. Well, and I, I feel like again, all of those things, like somebody, some people talk about adriamycin as if it's, you know, oh, this terrible, and I was like, strong as can be like it's again like you can view it any way you want right mm-hmm. i remember Kel, I remember, cancer. remember kelly telling me 14 days later you're gonna lose your hair and she was right so yeah you know yeah. but yeah and and so you know but uh, the hair comes back you know um sure. and uh and then as you point out you stop thinking i won't be here for this or that well right that's the goal absolutely the goal is to, to be able to make plans yeah make to. plans as if you're gonna be here yeah and uh, and that's a, that's that's the job of the relationship of the yeah. of the doctor but also the family the friends everyone contributes to that feeling mm-hmm. oh just that. one last thing before i know i've kept you a long time but um <laughs> what do you how do you feel about second opinions and in terms of i i feel like a lot of people um, I don't know, they're unsure of them or they don't want to maybe upset a provider. Well, that um, should never be, that should never be the case. There mm-hmm. is nobody who should object to your patient. No doctor should ever object to a patient wanting to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. A, pa- a doctor could even facilitate that by suggesting places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm often asked, and I certainly make suggestions of um, how far would you like to go? Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, are you interested in south, north? You want to go skiing? <laughs> exactly. What do you want to? What do you want to do? You know, mm-hmm. because there are lots of good places. I think, I think when you when you first up, different people do different things. Um, I think when you first approach a disease as serious as metastatic breast or metastatic lung cancer or metastatic any cancer, you want to hear what everyone's thinking. Mm-hmm. And that is so important for some people. And it's not mm-hmm. for everyone, uh, yeah. but for some people, that's so important to just hear, just mm-hmm. to know that they covered all the bases. Mm-hmm. Um so I encourage them, if, if, whatever the patient wants, my job is to, if I can, I facilitate, but I definitely always make them feel welcome to do it. Yeah. And uh, I can imagine funny, that yeah. you are often a second opinion or a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm often a third opinion and seventh opinion. I mean, my, my email is every week. I have cases from all over the world. I have in WhatsApp. I, mm-hmm. I'm helping manage a sarcoma in Argentina. It doesn't matter what kind of cancer it is either. So yeah, mm-hmm. I am proud of that. And I, you know, again, I since I was practicing when I was a child, medicine without a license, I'm completely comfortable continuing. Well, and again, if I had stopped with my first, the first oncologist that I met, like, where would I have been, right? I mean, well, you wouldn't be here. I couldn't say, but maybe no high school graduation, and that was unacceptable, so. 
Yeah. Well, you told me, you know, you told me that you said, mm -hmm. he, I, you know, I remember you're asking me, it's like, you're, you're not going skiing. I said, I, I was too poor growing up. I don't <laughs> ski. <laughs> I, I don't play tennis. <laughs> All I can do is run and walk. That's the only thing I could afford. So, so yeah, no, um, but you, you were surprised that there was no vacation coming up. Uh, well, I don't know where you would be. I don't want to comment on that. All I can mm -hmm. say is um, people have their limitations and uh, yeah. oncology is a specialty that is not very tolerant of limitations mm -hmm. because the room for error is the, uh, the window of opportunity is not a wide open all the time. You have to, you have to seize the day. There is a time where you can treat somebody to the fullest extent of the weapons you have. Mm -hmm. And I do use the word weapons because they are very toxic and they are potentially damaging. So you, you, have, to, you have to use them skillfully. Mm -hmm. But the window of opportunity is no wide and it doesn't stay open. It closes in your face. And so you need to act when it's, when you, when it's appropriate. So if you have to go skiing, well, have a good ski trip. But yeah. that's, you can't just tell cancer to not grow in a young person, yeah. you know, an estrogen fed cancer in a young person, in a young woman who has estrogen levels up to here, you can't, you can't yeah. just say, I'm going to just blow this one out for a while. You yeah. know, it's just not what I'm sure that's not what he was thinking, but that's how he was acting. And yeah. so, you know, that's not the, this is not the right specialty for that kind of prioritization. Sure. If you are in oncology, you have to prioritize killing cancer. Yeah. What is the future of oncology in terms of oncology, people coming up through it? Are there? Well, I think we, I think we need more people. I think we are very busy. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the one thing that has happened is, um, you know we are not uh, we're not replacing ourselves That's to really the wonderful. pace that we should be mm -hmm. in academia uh, academia pays poorly and a lot of people find it difficult to to have studied so long and sacrificed so much and then you know continue to live a little bit like graduate students and so you know all those concerns go through people's minds and there is nothing wrong. We go into private practice and so on, but somebody has to carry the banner of research and train the next generation. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I, I see problems, but I just came back from the San Antonio meeting and I'm going, I'm going to the meeting ACR in Orlando in, in April, we have seven or eight abstracts of new discoveries it's going to be so exciting, 30,000, 40,000 cancer researchers and doctors. So on the one hand, there's a lot of excitement around the world, China, Japan, South Korea, South Korea. There's a lot of new places, mm -hmm. very exciting in Europe. Very, I went to Europe this summer uh, because a lot is going on in Europe in lung cancer. And I am head of a very big lung cancer program in Michigan now. And so I'm heading up this huge endeavor. So now I have to go to lung cancer meetings. And so I was very exciting uh, to what's going on in France and in the UK. So, you know, I think the, 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 
um, I think the future of oncology is, uh, is very bright. Yeah. There are lots of discoveries of molecules, new genes, new drugs. Everyone's working on new drugs, a lot of drugs from academia, but we need more people in investigation. We do. We are just not paying them enough. We are not prioritizing as a country science, and look where that took us. Right? Or you know, a million deaths from from a virus. Right? Yeah. Uh, that could have been conquered uh, in different ways and vaccination and stuff like that. So we didn't. We don't prioritize uh, understand uh, uh, teaching the public the enormous value of science mm-hmm. and how science has changed their lives. People think it's like, okay, they can be, they can be, they can think that this is not a good way to spend money. They have no problem getting on the airplane, right? Well, how is the airplane fly, right? Yeah. You know, everything you do the, yeah. that you love about your life, you know, from your toaster to the airplane, to your, to, to, to the, to mm-hmm. ibuprofen that, takes care of your headache everywhere you look it's science working for you so it's like the return on investment is 200 fold it's been calculated by the brightest economists in the world there is no bigger return on investment than funding science but we still don't yeah (laughs) we don't find it adequately we don't find cancer adequately so we need to advocate patients and doctors and society needs to advocate if we want a better life. Yeah. I, yeah. Who uh, do you have a couple of favorite organizations? We'll end with this. Well, a favorite organization of mine is the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. They've been funding uh, my work since 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only fund research, yeah. and uh, they are the largest. A private funder, private philanthropist uh, of of uh, of cancer funding uh, for mm-hmm. research. So Breast Cancer Research Foundation is my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, and they they pick you. You can't apply. Okay. You are either in the club or you're not. And the reason to be in the club is you have to have shown imagination. You have to have shown that you come up with new things and that you help people. And so it's just, as I said, they, they, they choose you. And then every year they decide if you are deserving of the next year of funding. So it's not like a foregone conclusion. Sure. So I have uh, benefited and my, my trainees and my patients have benefited tremendously. So I would give them, I give them a lot of my, the, 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 the money I give to, anything outside of disability for my son mm-hmm. who's disabled, I give to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation personally or to the University of Michigan Royal Cancer Center. Because yeah. well, they use every dollar for research. They don't, you know, they don't turn on the lights or flush the toilets with your money. They awesome. use it for research. Yeah. Every single penny. Not yeah. a dollar goes to anybody else. It just goes to research in the labs and in the clinic. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being thank with you. us. Thank you so for time. coming to, to be my patient. And thank you, Larry, for always being there for Heather and for the whole family. It's been such an honor and a privilege to get to know you all and be part a small part of your lives and get mm-hmm. to know your children who are lovely and lovely people. 
and not not surprising that you raised such wonderful children. Oh wow! And uh, mm -hmm. and what a journey that has been. Yeah, yeah, it all what has an been. adventure. I think the listeners are going to get a ton out of this, and they're going to be able to pick and pull from the things. And you know, even though you're not their doctor, I think you're even going to give people hope that don't even know who you are. So thank yeah. you very much for all of them. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to reach more people yep, yep. and uh, to life. To life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still here after all these years, after all these tears I shed. I'm still here. And I'm walking this earth like I should be There was days that I didn't know if I would be Yeah, yeah Now I stand tall with my feet in the ground And my head in the clouds Cause I'm still here Like I should be Yeah, yeah, like I knew that I could be Here we go, here we go Hey everyone, I hope you love this episode of I'm Still Here and I wouldn't want you to miss out on what comes next. So be sure to rate, review, and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, especially if you found it helpful. We need all the shares, likes, stars, and love we can get. We'd also love to hear from you. Leave your comments and questions and we'll incorporate them into future episodes. Have a great day.